If a Middle Earth elf lived today in Southern California, how would she celebrate and support the arts, music, and her community? What would Arwen do? Thursdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with me, Tani Tuduvio, on KUCI 88.9 FM and streaming live at KUCI.org. Ellen Salalumin Amentielva. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. I'm this show's engineer. My name is Lloyd, and your host is Marie Frank. She's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the state of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV, on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, CBS, ABC, The O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of other shows. And she did her own 90-minute PBS special two years ago called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy privacy. Good evening, Mari. Hi there, Lloyd. Who's your guest tonight? Well, this is somebody you know, too, Matt Isaacson from CPP North America. Yeah, we actually had him out on beautiful Newport Bay. Yeah, it was great. And it's, it's always fun when we have somebody that we know and somebody who is an expert that we've met through business but that we've really enjoyed as a person. So let me tell you a little bit about Matt Isaacson. Matt is the Director of Product Marketing with CPP North America, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of CPP Group, an international provider of life assistance products and services. Its international headquarters is in York, England, but CPP has offices throughout the United Kingdom, as well in the United States, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Germany, Hong Kong, and Singapore. And it maintains a worldwide base of over 10 million customers. The North American headquarters for CPP North America is in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is a wonderful place. Cold, but Minnesota nice. Matt is the director of product marketing. He helps drive new opportunities for CPP partnering with other companies to help consumers meet their needs with a variety of products, including privacy and identity theft issues. One of CPP's most important privacy products offered through its partners is Identity Protector. And this is a service that provides state-of-the-art prevention and fraud resolution services. Now, a lot of these companies provide prevention, but not really great fraud resolution services. And I know that CPP does have this. What it has is one-to-one coaching and expert advice for victims, for consumers and victims, for consumers to protect themselves and for victims to protect themselves from all of the problems with identity theft and to resolve those. All the CPP fraud resolution specialists provide personal one-to-one coaching with step-by-step guidance, preparing letters for victims, assisting them with all those phone calls and educating and empowering them to resolve the issues. They have more than 2 million people who are enrolled in Identity Protector, and it is actively fighting identity theft. And it's interesting because Matt really came to CPP back in 2005, and he held roles in product marketing and management with U.S. Bank Corp., which, again, does banking and credit card, and then Northwest Airlines. So you can learn more about him and Identity Theft protector at identityprotector.com. That's identityprotector.com. Matt, are you joining us all the way from Minnesota tonight? I am, Mari. How are you? I hope you're staying warm. (laughs) 
<laughs> we are. It's been uh, chilly, but we're looking forward to uh, the spring and summer months coming up quickly. I know. One time I came there and it was 15 below zero, and then when I had left, it was 80 degrees. And um, and then the last time I came, I brought the good weather with me. So you did. That's, you did. Yeah, and people in Minnesota really are Minnesota nice. So it's it's a thrill to have you join us. And uh, I wish you were right here. It's pretty pretty nice weather. I bet it is. Well, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Okay, so Matt, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about your team because when I met them, they were really super people and they seemed very concerned. How do they feel about dealing with victims of identity theft? Well, I would say, Barry, that they take their job very seriously. You know, when a victim calls or a consumer calls and they believe they're a victim of identity theft, a lot of times, you know, they're very emotional. Yes. Whether they're upset or they're angry, confused, frustrated. And, you know, our fraud resolution specialists really are the first response, if you will, for uh, these victims. And our fraud resolution specialists really um, take their job seriously and, you know, attempt to work through the resolution process with the victim um, to the best of their ability. You know, it's really hard because when you're talking to somebody who's very upset, they, you know, that emotion really pushes out on you. I know when people call me, it is just heartbreaking, and it is really a challenging job. And I, I like one of the things that I like about your fraud resolution program as opposed to some of the other ones that I've seen, is that there is some hand-holding. There's emotional guidance. And also, the other good thing is that it's not like you're there for only two minutes. You know, you get 30 seconds to talk to someone, and which I think is really great. Right. I mean, the fraud resolution specialists, as you said, you know, they are. They're, kind of, they're one-to-one guidance. They're coaches. They play so many different roles to help the victim uh, get through their situation. And, uh, you know, they, they're just a great team, and they do such a great job for us. You know, when I've testified in Congress and we've talked to legislators about the issue of what the real problems are in identity theft, it's not the out-of-pocket costs that they're looking for. They're looking for financial losses. And under the Fair Credit Billing Act, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you really aren't responsible most of the time, at least with credit card fraud, and hopefully in some most issues, debit fraud, you're not going to be responsible for the, the costs. But the real costs are the time and the effort and the emotional losses okay. that, that I think you don't get to know unless you work with victims. So anyway, you came from the credit card industry and the airline industry. Mm-hmm. So how was that, you know, in terms of comparing, working with what you're doing now? How, what is that all about? Well, definitely. I mean, my experience in the airline industry was a past life. That's kind of how I view that. I left uh, that industry shortly after September 11th, and I joined U.S. Bancorp in product management. And, you know, banks have many products that they market to their consumers. But, you know, at the same time, they're also very concerned about um, the banks are about fraud and how to prevent it, as well as privacy. You know, so many consumers obviously have banking relationships. They have their money in different banks, and, and they count on these banks to um, protect their information, to protect their money, um, and, and not sell that information. And so when the opportunity to join CPP uh, came up, it just really was a natural fit because CPP uh, offers a number of different products, um, Identity Protector being the largest one, and taking that experience um, that I had uh, at U.S. Bank and in the credit card industry and bringing it to CPP has really just been a great fit. Yeah, and I can see, you know, at least you have a greater understanding of how the credit card industry works. And I think that's important to understand how, how cards are issued and have that insight that a lot of people don't have. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the times the credit card industry has really facilitated this crime. Mm-hmm. So I think your insight into that is, is something. Now, I didn't know that you, you actually quit the airline industry after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Was that really on purpose at that time? I mean, it was a pretty scary time, huh? Um, just, you know, very unstable. And um, I just had an opportunity to... Uh, kind of transfer my skills into a new industry, and it seemed like the right time to do it. And I loved my uh, my job at Northwest, but um, it was a good opportunity for me to try a new challenge, and uh, it's worked out really well. You must have had some nice good airfare. <laughs> <laughs> Flying for free, actually, as a matter of fact, exactly. you're an employee back in those days. It was great. I know. That's probably the one thing you really miss, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. No doubt about it. <laughs> okay, so so let's get back to this. Tell our audience how you help victims of identity theft and credit card fraud so that they really understand, you know, how, how, does, how does the whole thing work? Well, 
We market to our members, as we call them, through credit card portfolios. So we partner with a variety of banks, financial institutions, and other companies to acquire our members. And if one of our members becomes a victim of identity theft, they contact CPP, and they are immediately assigned to a fraud resolution specialist or a caseworker, as we call them, and a, and a case is opened so that we can first and foremost kind of document what the situation is. Some forms, um, or some situations, I should say, are much more serious, you know, than others. You would, you just talked about credit card fraud. That really is is um, fairly easy to resolve versus other types of identity theft. Once we um, the fraud resolution specialist documents the situation, they really create a custom plan that's unique to that victim, whether it be drafting letters to the credit bureaus to put on credit alerts or to contact the Social Security Administration, the United States Postal Service, banks, um, other lenders, whatnot, uh, just really leading the victim um, through the resolution process. And it is a very unique experience, I think, for every individual because it seems like every uh, identity theft situation is so different. Some is much more. Some situations are much more in depth than others, um, and we really just one to one coach the victim through the situation and try and resolve it to the best of our ability. Uh, you know, we also um, give the member prevention tips and tools to try and help them shield themselves from identity theft. But you know, the bottom line is is that all of us as consumers can do whatever we want and take the, as many precautions as we can to protect ourselves, but there's nothing anyone can do that will 100% um, you know, guard them from becoming a victim of identity theft. So we just do the best of our ability to, um, to help uh, all consumers, and in this case victims, uh, work through their problems. You know, I think that's really a good point, and I want to make that point. And we've said that sometimes on our show, but I think it's very important for people to understand that even if they see their credit report three times a year, or even if they're online with credit monitoring, that isn't necessarily going to save them from the trauma of identity theft because there's so much identity theft that has nothing to do with credit. So let's just kind of go over that. Sure. For example, um, you know, obviously if you're getting a mortgage or an apartment or you're applying for a job, your credit report is going to um, be used, you know, for them, you know, to, to look that over to see if right. they want to give you the job or they want to give you the credit. So what you're going to see on there is student loans. You're going to see if there's any uh, collection accounts, any delinquencies on credit or bank, but you're not going to see things that are, for example, Healthcare identity theft until it goes into collections. You know, you're not going to see if somebody has disability payments in your name. That's you're exactly not, right. You're not going to see if somebody uh, has a job in your name and then you get the IRS bill. You're not going to see if somebody's using your identity for the military or to get disability payments, workers' comp payments, or commit crimes in your name or terrorism or even cyber identity theft. None of that is going to show up, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. But are you saying that with your fraud resolution specialists that they are going to help with all of these types of identity theft? They'll help to the best of their ability. Um, we, as I said, document the situation and then take steps to um, attempt to resolve the member's uh, situation. Now, you know, you pointed out a number of um, identity theft situations that are very tricky, you know, especially healthcare fraud. I'm going to use that as an example. We have seen cases of that, and it is undoubtedly probably the most difficult to resolve because you have to deal with um, insurance companies, hospitals, doctors, clinics, and, you know, let's, let's face it, those organizations um, have a lot of red tape and are, uh, a lot of bureaucracy, if you will, um, as it is. And so to get through situations um, of, you know, of that type of identity theft, it is arduous, but we, to the best of our ability, will work through that with the member um, and try and resolve their problem regardless of how long it takes. And you know those are the kinds of things that people just get overwhelmed. So what I think is really helpful for people who are listening to understand is that there's a couple ways that that people can be helped. One is like I have you know my book that people are willing to take the letters and write them themselves and you have letters as well that Correct. people can just follow through and do it themselves. And then what about those people 
who really aren't even able to sit down at a computer. They're so overwhelmed that they just can't sit in a computer. What What is it that you guys do then? Well, we, you know, if, if they can't sit down at a computer, and, they, and as you said, it's very time-consuming, we'll do everything for them if need be. Um, but what I want to stress is to, you know, anyone listening is that when you're a victim of identity theft, you really need to make a commitment that you want to resolve your problem. You know, we can, at our company and, and other companies that offer these services, the fraud resolution specialists can do so many things to assist, whether it is write the letters, make the phone calls, make other contacts, whatnot. The member has to be very involved and committed to uh, resolving the problem. And, and our fraud resolution specialists work hard to, instead of um, you know, having the victim feel helpless, trying to make them feel empowered so that they can overcome their situation. And it's not a situation that might resolve itself in a month or even two months. It could be much, much longer. It can be years for some people. Absolutely. I know that there have been people that I've been helping with criminal identity theft that can last years, especially one woman who was on our show who's now in an appeal process because she was actually convicted for a crime that her imposter did. So that's on appeal now. This is talking like four or five years later. That's amazing. It is amazing. And then, of course, you know, I had a guy from 1991, Ray Lorenzo, who was on our show, Mm -hmm. until from 1991 to 1996, and I started helping him in early 1996, and we finally got it resolved. But he was also the victim of criminal identity theft. So these kinds of things with all of the databases that have all this erroneous information about us, if it's bought and shared and sold and given for background checks to myriad companies, you know, how do you, how do you fill all those holes of this Titanic right. that's sinking? You know, it's, it's really rough. So I think that's the great thing is that, you know, there's always someone that you go to that it's not your family who you have to get all upset and it's not the police who don't have time for you and it's right. not hiring an attorney that's going to charge you a fortune to do it, but you've got your fraud resolution specialist to, to be there for you, to be your guide and to help you. And I, I really think that is terrific. I know when I was out there, the one thing that some of your fraud resolution persons had told me was that the greatest fear that they have is that they tell them to do something and then they don't follow through. Right. And I think it's basically because victims just feel so overwhelmed that they almost are paralyzed. So the fact that you've got someone calling you to say, hey, how are you? We need your product. You know, we need you to give us a call back. I think that really is encouraging because people don't realize that when you're a victim of identity theft, you really go through a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I fortunately have never been a victim myself, but, you know, I do work closely with our fraud resolution specialists, and they do comment on that, that people do feel overwhelmed, they're frustrated. You know, there are some consumers out there um, who feel that if they're victims, they can resolve their issues on their own, and we fully respect that. But then in contrast, there are victims who want to have help and guidance and assistance in working through their problem, and, and that's what we're there to do, um, you know, if they, choose to, uh, if they choose to want assistance. But even if they want to do it on their own, you give them the letters, you give them the guides, sure. you give them the steps, that I know. I mean, so Absolutely. that you can, you can empower them if they want to be empowered. And if they're already afraid of sharing too much information because they've already had their privacy invaded, that's, that's right. understandable. So mm-hmm. that, that's really important. I want to just introduce you again because people are going by and they are wondering who is this gentleman with who's saying about with that funny accent from <laughs> Minnesota. We are speaking with Matt Isaacson, who is the senior product manager with CPP North America in Minnesota. And we're finding out about some of the things that he and his team has learned about identity theft victims. You know, just recently, a new study came out that said that in the year, from the year mid-2005 to mid-2006, there was an increase of identity theft victims to 15 million in that one year. So there's a a, a big increase because Mm -hmm. they had that, that study had been done the year, but the year before, and they found around 9.9 million new victims. So are you seeing that increase also? Well, we see about 45 new cases a month that are opened, um, and it's a wide variety of identity theft issues from 
uh, you know, someone has had an unauthorized charge on their credit card to someone who's actually had their Social Security number compromised. So, you know, I think we definitely see um, a trend that there, a trend in growth of identity theft. Um, so, you know, I would say that, that what we're seeing is kind of in line with what the FTC is reporting. Right. Now, what would you say is probably the most challenging type of identity theft if we're talking about between credit card, debit card, check fraud? What do you think is most challenging for your fraud resolution helpers to, to do with their victims in terms of those kinds of fraud? Probably debit card. You know, if a, if a consumer has, has unauthorized funds taken out of their bank account, you know, then they have to prove to the bank that they're not the individual who took out that money. Right. And the fraud resolution specialist will work with the member as well as with the bank, obviously, to try and get that, those funds replaced. And we have never had an issue where we have not been successful, but I can tell you that it's, it's arduous. Um, yes. To you know, and to work with the banks and just to prove. I think the biggest the the biggest sadness that I see with identity theft is you ha- the the victim has to prove who they are. Do you know what I mean? They, yeah, they really it's like you're to, not um, innocent till proven guilty. Exactly. You're guilty till proven innocent, which is really against our whole judicial system. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sad. So, yeah, it is sad, and I, I'm seeing more and more of it. And one of the things, we recently had a guy on who's a security expert, and, you know, with all the spyware coming into your computer, your password and your username can be captured without you knowing this. Right. And so, you know, our, the, the question I always have is how, as you and I as consumers, and you're, you're, you're good on the computer, and I'm pretty good on the computer, but we're not high-techy people, no, you know? Not. We're not security people. Mm-hmm. And, and the question I have is how can we be held accountable as consumers to be able to ward off hackers into our machines and into, you know, from spyware, if we're using SpyBot and we're using our Norton or our McAfee and all this, we're doing all those things, and yet our password is stolen. And how can we be held accountable to to these banks when money is stolen? We haven't got a clue that this was taken insidiously from us. You know what I'm saying? It's Absolutely. Just, I completely agree with you. Completely. It's, it's so hard. So from your experience, son, Matt, who is um, a representative of the identity theft victim? What are you seeing over there in, in Minnesota, the people that are calling from all over the country? What, what are they? Well, you know, I have to say, no doubt, that the victim, you know, it's, it's anyone. It's anyone from any walk of life, any ethnicity, any education level, any income level. I will say that we have seen um, the elderly being targeted more than other uh, age demographics, um, specifically with phone scams. Um, you know, they're giving out personal information over the phone because someone is calling, uh, you know, in, either impostering their bank or other institution that they work with. Um, we've also seen uh, uh, children become more victims of identity theft. We have not had too many cases, but I think it's interesting, specifically with uh, the cases that we see, that, you know, children are issued a Social Security number shortly after birth, and their credit file goes uh, unchecked for years until they, you know, decide to get a car loan or they go to college and need a student loan when they're in their teenage years. And so I think those are two of the fastest-growing segments, but in terms of who the identity theft victim is, it can happen to anyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and also we've seen with the Federal Trade Commission, we've seen, which was kind of surprising this year, that the the largest segment of new victims is really 18 to 29 which yeah it's and i think one of the reasons is because they're coming into the credit world and banks are targeting them because they want to get them for life Mm -hmm. and um i think that that's part of it and they're probably you know at that age they're getting into the credit system and um they're very vulnerable at that age you know, to, to become victims, and, and others are taking advantage of that. And and also they're online a lot. You know, they're going into MySpace and right. dating services and giving a lot of information about who they are, and it's very easy to steal their identity. But you're right. I mean, the people who are elderly are very vulnerable, and they're very trusting. They are. To your point about the 18- to 29-year-old 
demographic there, I think that young people almost feel like they're invincible. I mean, I'm unfortunately not in that age group anymore, but I remember <laughs> how I felt when I was. And they're very free to give up their personal information, really probably not realizing the impacts that it could have should it fall in the wrong hands. Right. I don't think they live long enough to, to know the ramifications. And when they do experience it, it's, it's quite different. But otherwise, I think you're right. They think they're invincible. Right. They're very trusting. And they also have grown up with the Internet. And they're taking risks more. I know last week here at the studio... I was uh, staying on late and I was doing some work on my computer and there was, you know, there are a lot of DJs here that are young college students and this one college student was really helping me <laughs> and it was funny because I said, wow, you you really know what you're doing. He said, no, I just take risks more than you older people. <laughs> I didn't know if that was, you know, how I felt about him saying you older people, but I, I realized that it was true. He said, yeah, people in my age are willing to take risks, do all sorts of things, and, and work out a program that they don't even know. And it's true. And I think that's the thing is those taking those risks also puts you at risk. When you take a higher risk and investment, you you can get burnt more, and probably the same thing when you're just giving your information out freely. Right. I couldn't agree more. And you know, I think another um, problem is that people really aren't informed about identity theft. I mean, it's all over the media. I think we've all heard it, you know, on the nightly news and on the radio and in the newspaper. Right. But I do think that the education piece of making consumers more aware that identity theft isn't just when someone has stolen your credit card. Right. When you have an unauthorized charge in your account. It's so it's just so so much more. And consumers have so many different exposures, you know, from mail fraud to, you know, obviously losing your purse or your wallet to like you were talking about, you know, shopping online or, or doing any type of um internet surfing online where you're divulging your personal information. I mean there's just so many exposures and I really do believe that it's educating the consumer that that is a key, at least in helping them, um, you know, shield themselves as much as they possibly can from becoming a victim. Yeah, I think especially this this new Gartner study that came out recently was talking about that they thought the big increase in identity theft was due to phishing, which we've talked about as, you know, the P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, where you get an email that you think is authentic and it's either from, you know, Citibank or some bank that you think is a reputable company or AOL or PayPal or IRS, whoever it is. Right. And uh, you think it's a real, an actual authentic email telling you that you have to provide some information because of fraud or to get some refund, etc. And if you click on the URL that is embedded in that email, then you're going to be brought to another site that's fraudulent, and obviously they're going to ask you for information, and that's how you're going to get hooked into identity theft. So the educating people as to never, ever responding or even doing anything but delete those emails is, right. is, is a good start because a lot of that's from you know, some Russian mafias <laughs> doing it to you or something. In the, exactly. But I do think the problem that we've seen with all of these myriad security breaches of, you know, yeah. over 105 million records have been stolen in the last year and a half, that, that's a lot be beyond our control, you know, Matt? So Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you think about our personal information, everyone, your personal information is everywhere. When you enroll in school when you're a child, your personal information is you know, divulged, right. whether it's elementary school, primary school, high school, college, when you open an account at a bank. I mean, your information is out there. I remember when I was in college, my grades used to be posted by my Social Security number. Exactly. And now that I think back, <laughs> oh, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine um, that that was done. So, I think you know, you're absolutely right. We just don't have control over where our personal information um, goes. Right, and, it, and it's now that... It used to be, like when, when you and I were in college, that yes, those, that information was held in records and paper trails, and, and now everything is on the computer. And, you know, if you can imagine when you look at these little USB plugs that, they, that you can use to put data on, right. you could put your whole computer on that. Yes, in this tiny little thing. So we have metadata that can be put uh, in tiny files. So everybody's saving it. And they're saving it and sharing it and buying it and selling yeah. it. And, and so it's never going to go away. 
It's right. never going to go away. You're absolutely right. So in terms of trends with ethnicity, age, and education level, what, what are you seeing with victims there? Do you see some different trends? Well, you know, I talked about the elderly right. um, and children. But in terms of ethnicity, we do see that Hispanics tend to be um, victims more than other ethnicities. I, I wish I had an explanation to why that is. Um, but we uh, do open more cases with Hispanics than we do any other uh, ethnicity uh, for a variety of different reasons, whether it's credit card fraud um, or someone has compromised a Social Security number. Um, but, you know, there's, there's no doubt that that ethnicity, for some reason, and I wish I knew what it was, um, seems to have a higher uh, target, I guess, if you will, um, than others. You know, I have seen that as well. And, and some of the things, and you tell me if you see this, a lot of times the names are, are the same, you know, like you have Martinez, or you have a lot of the same names, and it might be Juan Martinez. If you think about how many Juan Martinez there are, that's and someone, you know, and they use the name. So that's one thing that people are doing. So sometimes it's identity theft or unintentional identity theft where it's a merged file. And then we've had, I've had many Hispanics who've found out that were people who were legally here, who were legal residents, found out that people who had come over the border, we're, we're down here by Mexico, people who had come over the border had then gotten, had used the other person's social security number and name to get a job, to send money back home, to get mm -hmm. workers' compensation. I had one guy who was legally here for 30 years, and he was injured on the job, and he went to get workers' compensation, and uh, he was in Orange County, California, and they said, you can't get workers' comp because someone else has already applied for it in your name and your social down in San Diego. So even though you're in the hospital, we can't give you any workers' compensation. And so I had to help him to, to prove that he was an identity theft victim, that he right. was the true person instead of the other person the true person. And you can imagine with all the court files what that was like. Absolutely. So, yeah, I do think that it's it's unfortunate, and I think part of it is this tr trying to get a job in someone else's name. It seems like that seems to be a big thing here, at least. Okay. You know, I'm not sure if that's all the reasons, but, you know, that might people be part of it, too. Sure. And um, so when people, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the fact that it's beyond control. What What are the most common, besides credit card fraud, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of check fraud? Um, yeah, we do see check fraud cases, but again, the majority of what we do experience is it's credit card fraud. Yeah. Um, you know, if whether it's unauthorized accounts being opened or unauthorized charges, and I, I definitely know that with the fraud resolution specialists, one of the challenges that they have is educating the member um, to understand the difference between, you know, identity theft or credit card fraud or check fraud and just a, a common mistake, whether it's a banking mistake um, or an error, uh, you know, any for services rendered or an overdraft charge. So there is a, there definitely is, um, there's an education piece there as well. You know, we, we assist members with all types of, you know, different identity theft situations, but credit card fraud certainly is um, the majority of what we see. You know, I know you and I were talking before the show about other types of scams that people report to you. You want to share that one that, that happened that was not identity theft, but, but it was a scam that was reported to you about the woman with uh, sending money out of the country? Sure. Uh, it, good point. I mean, it, it was fraud, or I guess a scam, as you said, because, you know, this individual willingly sent the money. But I think it's a good example of just the wide spectrum of calls that we get of victims or um, consumers who, you know, want assistance. But this individual had gotten a telephone call from an organization called the National Gaming Association stating that she had won $4 million. Now, who wouldn't want to get a call like that, right? Right. Um, but in order to get this money, this individual had to wire $4,000 to Costa Rica, and the individual did it. And someone at this National Gaming Association made us place a second call to this consumer stating that the money did not get wired in a timely manner and uh, you know instructed that if the consumer wanted to get their four million dollars they had to wire an additional four thousand mm. dollars so the consumer did it again and altogether this 
individual wired $16,000 and never received a penny in this $4 million winnings. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, our fraud resolution specialist that was assigned to this case um, instructed the member to file a police report. Um, They did add fraud alerts um, at the credit bureau just as a precaution. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And they reported the National Gaming Association to the Better Business Bureau and the state attorney general um, and really just educated the member on these types of phone scams. But, you know, as you can imagine, because the money was wired out of the country to Costa Rica, there really was no, there was no recourse to get that money back. And this, right. this individual lost their money. And um, this is not identity theft because right. she, someone now, you know, it would, might have been different if somebody had gone into her bank and actually gone and tried to transfer money and did transfer the money. That, that would be true identity theft, and you'd have an opportunity to at least claim that and maybe get the money back. But in this case, you know, you do it of your own volition. Exactly. Yeah, I have a a woman that's going to be on our show in a few weeks. She had a another type of scam, and it's unfortunate because people who are desperate or people who think something is maybe going to help them with their finances that it's worth it, and they get all excited and they just. I guess the answer is if it's if you if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and that old adage, just like you said, no doubt about it. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole, but there is a young woman who went on Monster.com. This is what we're talking about, the young people. You know, she's like 24, 26 years old, needed a job, put up her whole resume on Monster.com, and then she got an email from a company from Canada saying that uh, she, you know, they'd like to have her take this job where she would get checks from, you know, uh, from our country, from the United States. They'd give them to her, and then she should take those checks, cash them, and then send by Western Union to this company. And she thought, oh, well, that's not so bad. And she could keep 20% of it, you know? Okay, yeah. Well, guess what she did? I mean, she'd get these checks, and she put them into her bank, and then she sent the money out right away, and $7,000 worth of checks bounced because oh those gosh. were not real checks. Those sure. Anybody can go to Office Depot, Office Max, make up checks, make it look like it's a real account. And unfortunately, you know, her bank took it in right away and gave her the money, fronted her the money. But it was her own decision to cash those checks and do this. Right. So they're not giving her her money back. They're saying, wait a minute, you know, this was an identity theft. Exactly. Um, this was on your own volition. So I guess the, the moral of the story is people are going to contact us, whether it's me or you, and say, you know, I'm a victim of fraud. And yes, you are a victim of fraud. But one is, to, you know, where someone is assuming your identity and one you are doing it on your own volition. Exactly. And Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and you're just not going to be able to get that money back. So, you know, your fraud resolution specialist or me, none of us are going to be able to help except to, like you said, educate people that don't fall for these scams. Right. I mean, they just you really you have to be educated and you just really have to use good judgment, especially when you're proactively contacted, you know, whether someone calls you or if they're, you talked about phishing earlier, the phishing emails. Um, you just really got to use good judgment, and I couldn't agree more with what you said. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, without a doubt, it probably is. Yeah, and and that's that's the sad part. And you know, the DAs can't do anything about it. And we're in this worldwide web, which is you know really wonderful in terms of research, but it's got the, such a dark side. Yes, that you, you don't know who you're dealing with. And, right. and most of the time we're dealing with somebody that is not going to be, I mean, they're taking advantage of it. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So I can't believe this woman. Too bad she didn't call you after she sent the first 4000 Yeah, I, again, I think, you know, she had an opportunity that she thought she was going to get a, a healthy sum of money. Right. And, you know, it's just one phone call led to another uh, in terms of her getting phone calls and she kept sending money and I you know by the time it got into the five digit range sixteen thousand dollars I mean oh, you know it was it was it's a, it was a, it's a sad situation um, and those are the types of situations that are very difficult for the fraud resolution specialist because in that case you know we really we weren't really if you think about it able to resolve this issue no there was on no way the consumer no. and um, you know we'll do everything we possibly can but you know, I think this is a good point, too, that 
you need to have the members or the consumers' commitment. They've got to be committed and organized in um, you know resolving their problems. So obviously, this this case of this phone scam, like you said, there's it's very different from identity theft, but. Identity theft victims themselves really need to be organized if they're going to uh, work through their work through their situation. Right, and I think that's one of the things that having a having a partner in this, you know, somebody to hold your hand as you go through it. That's exactly. That. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it is. I mean, we'll work with the member um, as long as we can to resolve their situation, regardless of how long it takes. And some of it is handholding. Um, it's coaching, as we've talked about, one-to-one assistance, educating them on what their rights are, what they should do. Uh, you know, we we always encourage victims to file a police report, and we really can't do that on behalf of the victim. We can certainly, um, you know, direct them to do so, but the the authorities want to talk to the victim. They don't want to talk to a third-party provider. So yes. mm-hmm. we, you know, give that advice to them, um, follow up to make sure that they're that they're taking the action that we tell them to take. Um, but you know, that often also um, requires multiple uh, follow-ups and multiple calls to get the victim to act. Now, that certainly isn't everybody. But there is a segment out there that, that right. you know, it does require us to do so. Right. And I, I think that's what I find really helpful. When, I, when I'm helping victims, you know, I don't have the time to keep calling them back. And I think that's one of the things that what your fraud resolution specialist had told me is that they will call back. They they calendar it. They put it in their tickle file to call back. Oh, and, absolutely. And I think that's really nice because, you know, when you are under that kind of stress, and a lot of times things happen to people, they not only become a victim of identity theft, but other things are obviously going on in their lives. Because of their stress, often it, it really puts a strain on their family relationships um, if they don't have the finances, if money was taken out of their accounts right. by a fraudster, then they can't pay their bills, then they've got the mortgage company on them. So they're they're so stressed that having that, uh, like you said, having that person to be there to talk to you, to, to at least sympathize, empathize, help you, give you the steps, walk you through. I think the other thing that's real helpful is... You'll prepare the letters and send it to them. Am I correct? Overnight mail to them? That's correct, yes, because the, the consumer has to sign the letter in order to make it valid. Right, so they don't even have to write the letter. They sit right. down and they're, they're on the phone with your fraud resolution specialist. Your fraud resolution specialists are completing the letters, getting them all ready, and all they have to do is really sign and send, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, now that is that's really important because that's the big issue of all the things that I've written and testified in Congress and even in my own book. I mean, I know Matt, you said you weren't a victim and you know I was. Yes. And I can tell you even me, someone like me who's, you know, a type A personality, go getter, get up, try to do, I was paralyzed in many ways. Really. No doubt about it. I'm sure you were. And I think we hear that from a lot of victims because they don't know what to do. Yeah. They find they they discover that you know, they're a victim of identity theft regardless of, you know, what the exact situation is, but they don't know what to do. And they're, they're angry, they're frustrated. I think sometimes, some people feel naive because they, they feel like, you know, how did, this, how did I let this happen? Right. When in, you know, a lo- the majority of cases, really, there's nothing they could have done. Exactly. You know, to, prevent, to prevent their situation from occurring to them. Right. Right. And, and I think they're in fear because sometimes you sit there, I remember I was in fear thinking, who could have done this to me? Why would they be doing this to me, you know? Yeah. And if the person is on the other side of the world or, or you know, even a neighbor down the street, you have no idea who it is. So it's this right. insidious crime against you that you have no idea what it's really, what's really happening to you. And I think, I think it's a, about t- oh, less than 10% of the people ever find out who their, their imposter is. Did you know that? It's such a low percent. Yes. Um, yeah, ten to twelve percent is what I have heard yes. from the FTC, and you know we see that too with our victims. That you know not often do they find out, and and naturally I think some victims you know suspect a certain individual or think they might know who it is, but generally you know they ju- they don't know who it is, and and if they do find out, what I think is um, so amazing is that it tends to be a family member or an acquaintance or someone that they know, and I just I think that's amazing, especially. Um, we, we had a case of identity theft with a child, and it turned out to be a step-parent. Yes, and that's I, very common with a yeah, child. Mm-hmm. I just, it um, was very, uh, I just found that to be, you know, very profound. And and it's and it's pretty much like a vulture, <laughs> you know, right, taking, right. taking advantage of your own child. Yeah, the, 
the the one study last year that was a little upsetting to me the way they came about it was the javelin study that said uh, they they did a study and they found out that a half of all the people who know who did it to them found out it was a family member but they made it sound like half of all victims are are victimized by their family member but that wasn't the case it's half okay. of the 12% that are that find out who it is um find out that it's a family member so of the 12 percent that know who find out who it is sure. half of that is family members okay okay so be careful with that statistic because i actually had access to that um that study and it was very misleading the way it came out in the media so it's not a huge percent that is family members, but of course, if it is a family member, it is really very disgusting. You know, of course, that no you, doubt about you know, it. I mean, you think yeah, blood you is thicker than wine. Yeah, people that you trust. Often it can be an ex-spouse, it can be a step-parent or a stepchild or a grandchild, or John Jr. does it to John Sr., gets right. a mortgage, and, you know, it's... Uh, it is. It's, it's pathetic that, that a child would do it to you or a parent would do it to you. We're speaking with Matt Isaacson, who is the Senior Product Manager with CPP North America. He is a, um, a wonderful guy, and he is also in charge of the Fraud Resolution Specialists with Identity Protector. They have a member. Uh, people join as members along with their partners. Well, kind of explain that again, how, how that works here. If you have a sure. certain credit card, we that, um, yeah. market through credit card portfolios. So we partner with major banks across the United States, um, other financial institutions and organizations to uh, acquire members into our program. And we offer uh, a number of different products, but the one that we're, you were referencing, Mari, is Identity Protector, which is our identity theft uh, offering. And we offer both prevention and resolution tools to consumers. Um, you know, on the prevention side, to really um, help them from, uh, you know, kind of shielding them as best that they possibly can from becoming a victim of identity theft. And then on the resolution side, should uh, they come into the situation where they are a victim of identity theft, we have a number of uh, steps that we take on the resolution side to help the uh, victim resolve their situation. And with the fraud resolution specialist, they're probably the most, without a doubt, most important aspect of the resolution um, part of our product in that they deliver one-to-one -one coaching um, and really guidance and assistance in working through uh, and navigating just the minutiae of identity theft because in the worst yeah. cases it can be very overwhelming. Well, they're, they're the face. You know, they're the sympathetic hand-holding that I think is so critical with that kind of identity theft. You know, it's like they have victim assistance programs at the DA that sometimes those people are just so overwhelmed, they just don't even have time for you. But what I see the fraud resolution specialist is someone who is there to be um, your guide. And, and I think I think it's um, correct that once you have a fraud resolution specialist that you're assigned to, you have the same one throughout your case, right? So they get correct. to know you. Absolutely. So it's not like you're starting with, oh, now i got to tell my whole story all over again. Oh, right. Abs no, no, no. They, keep, we, they have the same individual um, from the first point of contact until their situation you know, is resolved. And there are cases that you know, do go on that aren't resolved for a variety of different reasons, um, but they do deal with the same individual. Right. I mean, so that way you don't have to call and repeat this. You know, it's like, okay, I can tell you now this is what's happening now. Help me with this thing. Right. Exactly. So how many? How are the members discovering fraud? How are, the, how are some of the th ways that they discover it and give you a call? I think the primary way is if they're um, seeking credit. So, you know, if they're going to take out a mortgage or purchase a car, the, you know, their credit report is extracted by a lender to measure their risk worthiness right and on the credit report you know there might be an unauthorized credit card that pops up on there or something suspicious is on the credit report um, that you know, might reflect a low credit score for example and the victim may think that they just have this you know spectacular credit history which you know they're led to believe because they've they feel that they've led a um, you know a, a life of, of um, having paying their bills with their credit. Yeah. exactly but unfortunately, someone has compromised their credit report, whatever the situation is, or their credit file, and that's how they're discovering it. Um, they're calling the 
credit you know agency to see if uh, one of the three major bureaus, TransUnion or Experian or Equifax, for example, can give them more information on their situation um, and what this uh, problem is. And you know they're not getting the information that they want, or well, they can't get a human. That's that's, that's the bottom line. They're <laughs> not going to get a human, so they're going to see this this horrible mark, and then 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 they know, uh oh, there's a real problem here. And exactly. that's when they, if they're members, that's when they can call you and say, oh my gosh, I just was that's denied exactly credit, and I've got us. all this stuff on my credit report, and it's not me. Right. That's exactly what it is. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, and that's, that, that's a scary way. way to find out, you know, sure. when you're when you're in a hurry and you're like, you know, you want to lock in this interest rate and you can't get this house. Right. Or you can't get this job. That's exactly right. Or they're, you're in jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, yeah. some, you know, it's not even a credit card. You, you know, you, you're, you're on your way somewhere and you get arrested. And, right. uh Or you're on your way back into the country and all of a sudden they pull you over and you have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, in terms of how long it takes to discover, what are you finding from your victims? About how long does it take for them to discover that they're a victim? Well, I can't give you a specific time frame because it, it's all over the board. I mean, it could be from a few weeks to a few months to even longer. Um, but generally what we find is, you know, the, the victims that we deal with aren't um, monitoring their credit. And, that, of course, certainly that's not the only way that you can discover that you're a victim of identity theft. But it's not happening until, you know, they're pulling uh, a credit report to seek credit for whatever they want to purchase. And, um, you know, they're doing that. They're pulling the credit report. They're taking a look at it. And, you know, they're discovering something on there that, that, uh, does, that does look suspicious. And they, you know, I, I, there really isn't a time frame. That's, right. that's what's so challenging about the whole situation because, you know, some people aren't finding out for two years, you know. And it's, it's really, it's sad. Yeah, and and that's kind of scary too because if they if they aren't aware, they can't do anything about it, and it's going to happen. They're going to find out in some way that might be very uh, detrimental to them. For example, if they're applying for a job and they have no yeah. idea, and let's say they want to apply for a CPA job, and of course that's going to your credit's going to be really important if they're going to hire you as a CPA or something. Sure. And and a lot of companies. Um, I mean, most companies can get your credit report. You authorize it, but they can get your credit report before they offer you a job. And if you have terrible credit, they're going to think, well, if you have bad credit, you're probably going to be a bad employee. It's right. not It's not exactly. always true, right? That's absolutely right. A lot and, of companies today do that. They, you know, they pull the uh, prospective employee's credit report, as you said, to take, you know, take a look at how, how are they managing their personal life. Right, exactly. You know? And if you're not managing your personal life, maybe you're not going to manage your, your job life. Right. That's and, exactly right. Yeah. And then the other thing is, okay, so one thing, at least for credit reports, and we'll mention this again, that you can get your free credit report uh, from each of the major credit report reporting agencies once a year at no cost at annualcreditreport.com. And you can also get credit monitoring service, in it, and I know that you guys offer that as well. We do. And there are a lot of companies that offer that. So that's for credit, but but in terms of finding out if you're a victim of workers' comp fraud uh, through identity theft or finding out about the IRS, I had one woman who called me this year who had found out from the IRS that she owed about thirty or $40,000 because someone else had worked in her name in another state, and this was eight years ago. Oh, my goodness. So the IRS was after her for something that was seven or eight years old, saying that she, you know, they finally found her, and they finally got it together. But right. it wasn't her. So just imagine what that's like dealing with seven the IRS. Seven or eight years, that's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and then, of course, I had Ray Lorenzo, who in 1991 thought he was a victim, you know, found out he was a victim that somebody committed crimes in his name in New York. He was from Florida. He thought he cleared it up, and then it was again appearing on his background checks, and he didn't know it, and he wasn't able to get a job in his IT field, and he had no clue. Right. So here this is going on and he doesn't know it. And then somebody else who couldn't get disability, this woman who tried to get disability, and for years she, she didn't know that someone else was already getting disability payments in her name. 
Could you yeah. imagine? So, so you're right. I mean, it's all over the board. It could be you find out a month later because you're trying to get a, a job or a car, or it could be years later and then try to put the whole package back together. Right, and to your point, you know, credit monitoring only uh, gets you so far. Right. You know, like work, like you said, workmen, you know, workers' comp and, and other types of fraud, you know, those aren't going to obviously show up um, on a credit report. Neither so. is check fraud. If right. someone's committing, you know, checking account fraud, which is so easy, they can write, they can go to Office Depot, get the Versa checks, put your accounting number and your check number on, and then put their a, a Mickey Mouse on there, and it's still going to get passed <laughs> through and take all yeah. the money out of your bank. That's not going to show up on your credit report either. You're and right. neither is debit card fraud. So, you know, that's uh, that's pretty hard here. Well, Lloyd says we only have a few minutes left. Um, oh, he says three minutes left. <laughs> okay. Um, so what kinds of expenses are you seeing that they're incurring? Well, I mean, victims definitely incur expense when they become a victim of identity theft. Um, postage, long-distance phone calls, you know, photocopies, affidavits. And in the worst, case, um, worst cases of identity theft, you know, victims at times have to retain an attorney, and so that would incur a legal expense. So, I mean, it really is across the board. Our product does offer identity theft insurance, so that helps offset some of those costs. Um, but, you know, there are limits with insurance as well, and those, you know, expenses can, you know, they can, it's, it, they it terms at times it can be cheap and at other times it can be you know very very expensive so well if they're if they're members then you know 90% of the time they're going to get everything resolved with their fraud resolution specialists and right. the letters that you guys write for them and and that they sign or that they do themselves most of the time that's going to happen it's just that if there's something really egregious that they do need a lawyer for example if they're going to have to fight a crime that was committed in their name you are going to have to have a lawyer, so that's when the identity theft insurance would, would kick in. Right. So, okay, so let me, one last question. What would sure. you like to, you and your team like to see happen to make it easier for consumers um, with regard to identity theft? What would you like to see? Well, I think in general, I would like to see consumers being more educated on the problem of identity theft. I do see, through my experience, that consumers tend to have a narrow view of the problem. And I think that they um, just, you know, more opportunities to be educated, whether it's, you know, through the media or through our services or, or whatever. I just think that the aspect of education is very important. And really, just more consumer-friendly laws that protect uh, consumers. As we talked about earlier and throughout the show, our personal information is everywhere. And I know that there are laws in place, but I, I have to believe that there's more that legislators and, and all of us can do to protect our information. Right. And the companies really that are issuing the credit that are not authenticating and the companies that are not encrypting and they're finding and we're finding that all these hackers and bad guys are able to get sensitive information that was never encrypted or it was encrypted but the dirty insider got the key. <laughs> all right. those things are, are really rough. But Lloyd's saying it's we have to end now, Matt. That, okay. uh, thank you so much for all of your time. Would you just give the website so people can at least see what you've got there? Sure. Our corporate website is www.cppnorthamerica.com. Yep. And our product website is www.identityprotector.com. Great. And there's information about both on those two websites. Well, you say hi to all your fraud resolution specialists. They're really great people, and everybody out there is Minnesota nice. <laughs> and I hope we get to see you soon again out here in California and take you out back on the water. Hey, I hope so, too. It's been a pleasure <laughs> being on your show. Okay, Matt, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to Matt Isaacson, who is the Senior Product Manager at CPP North America, and they run a fraud resolution and fraud protection uh, pr program that is really hands-on. I've seen it. It's, uh, it's really good stuff to have someone that can hold your hand all the way through when you're going through challenges like that. 
You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. To find out about our previous guests, listen to their interviews right there on our website and to download podcasts, see our future guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. I'm Mari, your host. Join us next week at 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI.org at Privacy Piracy and 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.